when I was a younger pastor and would be asked to preach in a church where there was an older senior minister, I felt humbled to try to fill the shoes of that older pastor. This morning, I'm an older pastor, and I feel humbled to try to fill the shoes of our brilliant young pastor. (laughs) From Boston, no less. (laughs) Bow with me for a word of preparation. Now may the words of my mouth And the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Luke was a great storyteller. I'm glad he included in his gospel that moving narrative of the two on Emmaus road, this which was read is our scripture. We can imagine what must have been going on with those two as they were returning from Jerusalem to go to their home in Emmaus, heads bowed in deep sadness as they walked. Their dreams had been shattered. I'm also sure that sadness because of dreams being shattered will continue for a long and painful time for parents, siblings, teachers, classmates, and others just down the road in Santa Fe. I pray that we will experience this morning how Luke's powerful narrative of those two on the Emmaus Road can bring some healing to us, especially those of us who may have had your dreams shattered recently, and certainly to those whose dreams have been shattered in Santa Fe. It was on the first Easter Sunday for those two returning to Emmaus, whose hope had all been but snuffed out. Just six days before, they could well have been part of the crowd, as Matthew records it, waving their palm branches as their beloved master came into Jerusalem on a donkey, chanting the crowds were, and probably these two also, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Then, just four days later, on the following Friday, their master had been tried and found guilty of blasphemy by the Jewish chief priests and elders. He was then handed over to the Roman governor, Pilate, to be crucified on Calvary's hill just outside of Jerusalem. Now, it was two days later, Sunday, they were walking toward their home, Emmaus. They were in deep despair. Have you ever noticed that some of the saddest words in our language begin with the letter D? Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, 
defeat, despair, death. I think all of these seem to be reflected in the words of Cleopas and his companion to that unrecognized stranger walking beside them. They had left the demoralized and confused group of Jesus followers with the events of Friday fresh in their memories. Their master, they had loved and followed, had been horribly put to death on a Roman cross. Death by crucifixion was the most shameful of deaths. The victim was made a public spectacle exposed to the jeers of all that passed by. Their hopes had been dashed. Their dream was over. These two were on their way home. What else was there left to do? The reports that Jesus' tomb was empty had only confused them more. The entire world that they had experienced was coming apart. Those two downhearted followers summed up the situation when they said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Human hope is a fragile thing. When it withers, it's difficult to revive. Have you ever experienced such total helplessness? In my ministry, in the church as pastor, missionary, chaplain in the hospitals and long-term care facilities, I have seen the eyes of those who have given up. I have heard them say, there's nothing more they can do for me. The cancer has spread too far. My spouse has left me for another partner. It's so hard to give up alcohol and drug addiction. I'm not smart enough to become a doctor. I feel so stuck in my job but I can't quit because my family needs the income and I don't know what I would do anyway. Have you ever heard yourself or others say these similar words? I said them when I lost an infant daughter 36 hours after birth in St. Luke's Hospital in the Philippines. And again in the spring of 2008, when I lost my previous wife to a sudden death. Such a sense of hopelessness as this is surely what the Emmaus two were grappling with. Like those so devastated in Santa Fe must be experiencing this morning. When we are really in despair and discouraged and depressed, it can surely be shattering, heartbreaking, as it was for Cleopas and his companion on their way back to Emmaus. But thank God, that's not the end of Luke's story. Some of you are in the mature years, as I, and will remember how Paul Harvey would have said it, and now... Here is the rest of the story. 
As the two made their way to Emmaus, a stranger fell alongside them. We know, of course, it was the risen Jesus. But somehow they didn't recognize him. In fact, Luke tells us they were kept from recognizing him. Maybe they were so preoccupied to look him in the eye. Maybe they just didn't care. What a difference would it make whoever was walking with them as they were in such deep despair. And along comes a chatty stranger who hasn't got a clue of the things that happened in Jerusalem, or so it seemed. The stranger asked him, What's going on, fellas? And he listened as they poured out their hearts. They needed companionship. They didn't need anyone to give them a stream of advice. The last thing they needed was a brisk cheering up to say, just snap out of it. No. Jesus enters into the pain of the two. He allows them to share their story of disappointment and despair. Then, he shares with them. I think he must have drawn from the richness of his study and meditation from that time alone he spent often in the mountains during his earthly journey. From the scriptures, he fills their hearts with faith and hope. However, he seems to have shocked them when he shares from Isaiah 53 that the Messiah would fulfill his mission on the cross as the suffering servant type of Messiah, not the political conquering Messiah that they had hoped for. And he knew, after being so gentle and attentive to him, that he also needed to confront them. And he did. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe. What do you think was going on with those two at this point? I believe that their two-hour journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus must have seemed like just a few minutes. They were so wrapped up in their conversation with the master, whom they did not even recognize. Luke then informs us, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. And what did the two do then? They didn't want him to leave. They invited him to join them as they entered their home. Evening had fallen. They did not want their amazing new friend to travel alone after dark. It was dangerous. They were eager for him to stay with them. Their hearts had been strangely warmed during the conversation. So they set the table for three. There was bread on the table, and the stranger took the bread and gave thanks. And in the act of breaking bread, they recognized him for who he was. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it to them, gave it to them. They saw hands. They were different from the hands 
when he had broken bread and the feeding of the 5,000 and different from the hands at the Last Supper. They were nail-pierced hands. In an instant, they knew him. And in an instant, he was gone. They must have wondered, why did Jesus have to disappear? Couldn't he have stayed longer with us? We can imagine Cleopas and his friend standing in amazement, asking each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? Open the scriptures. They suddenly realized that their master had risen. Their master had risen. The two lost no time in retracing their steps back to Jerusalem to share the good news. A simple two-hour walk had turned into a life-transforming experience. Now their hearts were burning with passion to share with everyone what they had seen and experienced. The noted Swiss conductor, Rachel, was taking his choir and orchestra through the final rehearsal of Handel's Messiah. When the soprano soloist came in with the refrain, I know that my Redeemer liveth, she sang with flawless technique, perfect breathing, clear enunciation. With a motion from his baton for silence, he walked over to the soloist and said almost sorrowfully, My daughter, do you not know that your Redeemer lives? Do you? Embarrassed, she answered, uh, Why, yes, I think I do. Then sing it, cried Rasha. Tell it to me so that I will know you have experienced the joy and power of it. Then he motioned for the orchestra to begin, and she sang with truth and fervor. They who listened wept, and the old master, eyes wet with tears, said to her, You do know. Your Redeemer lives. For this time, you told me. I can imagine, can't you, that that two-hour journey back to Jerusalem for those two took not much more than 45 minutes. They were on a mission. Their hearts were burning. They had some good news to share. They couldn't keep it to themselves. Their broken hearts had been transformed into hearts that were on fire with the love and care of their risen master. In the midst of broken hearts and shattered dreams, in Santa Fe and among us here this morning, as you join the two on the Emmaus Road, you let your heart be strangely warm. How tender and gentle love has been made so real in his suffering. Midst of doubt and disappointment, despair, he will walk with us if we let him right now.